Hey, well, let's do all this together. At the count of three, let's just say Merry Christmas. Let's say Merry Christmas like we mean it. Let's say Merry Christmas like every gift we get is going to depend on how loud and well and energetic <laughs> we say Merry Christmas. All right? One, two, three. Well, thank you. Merry Christmas to you too. Awesome. Hey, thanks so much. I, there's a lot of things to love about Christmas. There's so much that happens around Christmas that we can be engaged in. It's this amazing opportunity that God has built into our, our culture so that we have an entire month where we get to talk about his goodness and the grace and everything that he brings into our life in the form of Jesus. Amen. Right there. Let's go. Like, like an amazing opportunity that we have. Now, there's a lot of things to love about Christmas, and uh, I probably talk about those a lot. And so, it, it, you know, gifts is always number one for me, of course, but there's a few rituals we have around the house and we have a lot of decorations. So in my house, we have a live tree. How many live tree people we got? Let's go. Yeah. How many fake tree people we got? Come on. Yeah. Uh, Y'all stink. How many, how many, how many, how many have both? Let's go. A lot of people. So, so we have both. We have live. We have Memorex. We have uh, fake trees as well. And so one of my ritual every morning is that when I get up, I go and I turn on all the Christmas lights in the house. And so all the trees, we have a handful, and then every other little decoration that has a light bulb on it. So I walk through the house, and the first thing I turn on is the, is the uh, lights to the live tree. I think it's obvious why everybody would do that. And so I turn those lights on, and I water it. And then, and then I go around to the other trees, and I light them. And then we have all these other little places in our house that are decorated that I plug in lights or I turn on a switch. And so one of those places is right over by the coffee pot. So it's the very last place that I go. So after I've turned, off all, turned on all the other lights, uh, 30 minutes later, I go finally um, to the coffee pot. And, and behind the coffee pot is this sign right here. And I reach over and I turn on the lights to the word joy. That's dunk. Like, let's do it again. To the word joy. Yeah, so to the word joy. Now, joy is one of the quintessential words for Christmas, isn't it? Joy is one of the trademark words for Christmas. When we see the word joy, we automatically think about Christmas. We have songs written about joy that are Christmas carols. We know that joy, it's to be the expression that we have at Christmas. And there's a lot of ways that we express that. Now, in the Bible, what we see is the first time joy is mentioned in the New Testament comes in the story of the wise men. It comes in the story of the wise men. It's the first time we see this word joy. And so we want to unpack, like, what did they experience? And how can we experience that? Is there more to the word joy than we realize? So let's grab our Bibles. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. Grab your Bibles. And we're going to start out in verse 1 and just kind of look through the story of the wise men this morning and how they experienced Joy, we, we started this series last week around chasing stars, that we're all chasing something. And today we want to talk about chasing joy. Let's talk about chasing joy. Matthew chapter 2, let's start out in verse 1. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw a star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was greatly troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Now the reason why they were troubled is because Herod being the king and the fact that another, someone 
claiming to be king was born, probably going to bring some unrest, probably going to bring some conflict, probably going to bring a battle. If they think they're king and Herod thinks he's king, trouble is on the horizon. So he was greatly troubled, everybody else too. He assembled all the priests, all the scribes of the people, and he asked them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and he ascertained or gathered from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, and he said, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Now here's the money verse, verse 10. It says, When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. So this was the experience that the wise men had. Some of the very first people to see Jesus outside of his immediate family, they rejoiced with great joy. They had been on this journey probably for a couple of years. So obviously when a journey of that length is over, you're glad. But they knew they had experienced something. They knew they had found somebody. They knew something about this idea of joy. And the way this sentence unpacks is life-changing. So the word joy comes from the word where we get our word grace. It comes from where we get our word grace. And so when we think of joy, it's immediately connected to the grace of God because that's how the word is defined. And so the word for joy means aware of God's favor. It means when we experience joy, it means that we are aware of God's favor in our life. And so the wise men had showed up and they were extremely full of joy because they were aware that God had told them to do something. They did it, that they had read something about this king of the Jews to be born, that God had broken into the world and that he was actually present. And the fact that God would go to all that trouble and show up here to rescue his people meant that they understood God's favor in their life. So starting off, and it doesn't just say anything like they had joy does it? Man, it, it unpacks it. It said that they rejoiced with great joy. So it started out with this word rejoice. Now the word rejoice just means that they, that they went, that they, that they leaned in a little bit, that they engaged in what was happening. You know, rather than just show up and throw some gifts down, they kind of leaned in. So you get this image of maybe they kind of moved to the edge of their seat. Do that just for a second. Move to the edge of your seat just a second. Now lean in just a bit. Like, do I not appear a lot smarter right now? <laughs> you can lean back. Right? When you lean in, it means you're interested. It means there's something for you. It means something important is about to happen. So it says they rejoiced. They leaned in a little bit. They, they looked at this with, with attraction if it was going to be something good for them. And it says great joy. They rejoiced with great joy. Now, the word for great is where we get our word mega. Like, we know, we know the word mega. We know it means a lot. We know it means more than more. It means mega. It means a bunch. So mega millions means lots of dollar dollar bills. We know megalomaniac is someone who loves himself way too much. Um, mega gifts means you're going to get more gifts than you could ever think of. Like you can't even hardly put a number on it. Mega. So they rejoiced with great joy. But then there's this other word in there. Exceedingly. Now this word's interesting. This word means they went all in. Okay, this word comes from a word that means violent. So you have this violent celebration of joy. Have you ever experienced that? 
this violent celebration of joy. Any Atlanta United fans in the house? Let's go. That's all you got? That's terrible, right? That's good. That's, you, probably while you're watching the game, that is the one that kicked the ball, right, Carson? That's the one that kicked that. Okay, good. Soccer. So I don't know those things, right? So soccer, if you're watching it, they score. What do you do? You jump up in the air. My son is in Dallas, lives in Dallas, so he texts me. Did you see that? I'm like, no, it's past my bedtime. But we, we go crazy. So if you're a Georgia fan or an Alabama fan or a sports fan, not a Falcons fan, but any other, any other fan, right? You jump and you throw your hands in there, even if it's soccer, because this is a universal symbol for victory, isn't it? And so you jump up, you have this, sometimes you may yell out loud, man, we have this celebration that happens. It's violent. We go all in. Our bodies are in, our voice is in, our mind is in, everything is in. This is the wise men. Now there is probably no greater picture of this than Christmas morning with a kid who's between the ages of five and nine. Like, you remember that? Remember those days? Remember when you were that age? Like, I, I can remember when, between those ages, when you opened a gift, it was, it, man, all hands on deck, right? You just went after it. So I even taught my kids, like, when you go to open a gift on Christmas morning, hey, there is none of this. Hey, let's save this paper for next year's stuff. Like, that bow, we're not saving it for next year. If someone paid a lot for that bow, that is their problem, not yours. You, <laughs> you get into that. You rip it open. You, you give it all you got right? Violently, all in. So this is the picture we have of the wise men. The wise men show up. The wise men show up and they go all in by leaning in to God's favor. They go all in by recognizing the joy that's to be found in Jesus. They go all in by leaning in to what God has for them and they experienced joy and it consumed them. It took over everything. And listen, we all want joy, don't we? Listen, we all want joy, and we all want more joy. How many of you want more joy at work? Come on. Like, who doesn't want more joy at work? I mean, you've seen the cast that I work with, right? Like, and who they work with. Like, who doesn't want more joy at work? Wants to feel like you're making a difference. Wants to feel like you're, even if you're making your company successful, wants to feel like you're helping people at work. You like getting up and going to the place where you work. Like we all want this experience of having more joy. Man, if you're, if you're dating someone right now, don't you want more joy? Man, don't you want more joy? Now, here's the reality. If you're not growing towards more joy, you may need to reconsider that choice. However, you know, if you're engaged, you want more joy. If you're married, don't you want more joy in your marriage? Like, doesn't move. Doesn't matter. <laughs> that was awesome. I'm not even looking over there right now. <laughs> that was awesome. That was so good. Come on. She's playing along. You guys need to get with it. Let's go. Come on. Like, don't you want more joy? Don't you want to wake up and be glad and happy with the person that you're waking up next to just to thank the Lord? Like, just to be able to spend more time with them. You want, who wants to have more joy in your parenting? Yeah, it's more of that, right? Like, man, everybody wants more joy as they, as they raise kids and as you relate to your children. Like, we want more joy. We want more joy in everything that we do. We want more joy. And here's the truth. We all pursue joy. It is the reason why we do almost everything everything. Some people would even say it's the reason we do everything. That every choice that we make, every word that we say, every act that we, that we take, like we are pursuing, we are chasing joy. You know, there's this author, a French mathematician named Pascal, probably your favorite author. And Pascal said this, says, all men seek happiness or joy, 
happiness. Let me say, let me stop right here and just do a pause and leave this screen up. So sometimes we want to differentiate between happiness and joy, satisfaction and joy, pleasure and joy, as if happiness is just surface level and joy is deeper in our soul. And certainly there's a little bit of truth to that. However, in the Bible, we really don't see this differentiation this fine. We don't see it parsed out this well. Happiness, pleasure forevermore, satisfaction, contentment, joy, they all go together. And so I think it intuitively kind of shows us that we get the idea that some joy is temporary and some joy is permanent and eternal. We kind of get that. But when the words are used, it's overstating it a bit to say that happy is only superficial and that joy is not. Because I want to be happy and have joy, don't you? Yeah, come on. So all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some who go to war and others who avoid it is the same desire in both, just attended or looked at with different views. So what Pascal is saying is when we go to war, it's because of this idea that's what's going to bring us happiness or satisfaction or joy. And if we avoid it, that's, it's because of this idea that we are looking for, pursuing, chasing joy. It's just that we see how we're going to get there differently. Then he goes on and says, the will never takes the least step but to this object. This is the motive of every action of every man. So everyone pursues chases joy. The reason why you came today is for your, is for your joy. Did you know that? Like you're here today for your joy. Now, some of you came today and you volunteered first service and you got up early and it was raining and it was cold and you battled through that to come and you wanted to serve and you wanted to volunteer. Some of it is you have a, you know, a gene of responsibility. And so you wanted people to know they can count on you. And so you showed up because that, that's what brings you joy, more joy than staying in bed on a cold Sunday morning. Man, some of you came here today because God's been stirring something up in your heart. And you don't know what it is. You're not sure how to grab hold of it. But you know he's been stirring it up. And as you gather here and as, you're in, and as you hear people worship and, you, and people pray and you see people that, you know, God seems to be doing something. You wouldn't want to miss out on that. And so you came for your joy. Man, not only that, some of you came because your neighbor drug you to church today. Did you know that? You came and you came for your joy because finally, just finally, he'll get off your back and quit inviting you to go to church. But probably you're going to want to come back next week by the time we're done. But you came even for your joy. The reason why we do everything. Think about this one. Maybe it's exercise. Maybe it's exercise. And, and some people love to hate exercise. Have you noticed that? How many times have you been in the gym and you talk to somebody and they're like, man, best thing about that workout is it's over. I'm glad it's over. I'm like, really? Well, why don't you just go eat another fat burger and be fine, you know, but get more joy that way. But we know exercise is going to lead us to maybe feeling better, maybe more health. Maybe it's going to help us keep weight where we want it or we can fit in our clothes. And that makes us joyful. Like everything is driven by this pursuit of joy. <clears throat> the problem with us is not that we pursue joy. The problem is, is that we pursue joy that can't deliver deep, eternal satisfaction. The problem is what we pursue that we think is going to provide us joy. Now, in the United States, that's prosperity, isn't it? Isn't it? You know, Thomas Jefferson, when he wrote in the, the Declaration of Independence that all men are created with certain inalienable rights, endowed by their creator for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, which we think prosperity is going to provide that. So we chase after prosperity. And what we've come to find out in our culture and others as well is that line of thinking is bankrupt. That, that, that wealth and prosperity and comfort and toys does not have this ability, this capacity to provide deep, 
life-changing, unalterable, unmovable joy because it's temporary and it's fleeting. In this last week, I was in Belgium and we were looking at starting some churches there because Belgium is considered an unreached people group. Less than 1% of people in Belgium are evangelistic Christians. Amazing. As a matter of fact, the churches that we saw maybe watching us right now in Stainock, Brazil. Hello, Stainock, Brazil. We're glad you're watching us all the way from Belgium. And so while you enjoy dinner, keep listening. And so one of the churches that we were able to partner with and or to kind of see what they're doing was, was, was uh, they're probably joining us right now. But, but think about this. In Belgium, they're less than 1% Christian. Their divorce rate is 70%. 70%. Their suicide rate is one of the highest in the world. And as you look at Belgium, the countries in Europe, and as you move over even into the Eastern Bloc, what we see that suicide rates there are higher. Why do you think that is? It's because they have less than 1% of people who follow Jesus. You see, as we read the Bible, as we study, what we're going to see is that the Bible celebrates Jesus as the source of all joy. That there's nothing better than the joy that's found in Jesus. There's nothing that we can acquire, nothing we can attain, nothing we can do to find joy that will surpass what it means to know the God that the wise men found because we will recognize that God's favor is on us and that our joy can only be found in something that's connected to God. And Jesus came to connect us to God so that we could have joy so that we could have joy. See, the truth is God is for your joy and God is for my joy. Like God is for your joy. And so many times what we think is God is for my behavior and God wants me to get my act together. And God wants me to quit doing these things and to start doing those things. And more than anything, he just wants me to act right. But the truth is God is after our joy. You know, C.S. Lewis said this. <clears throat> he says, the joy is the serious business of heaven. So think about it. When you get to heaven and you look at what they're doing. So, so uh, let's uh, just compare it to the North Pole. When you get to the North Pole, Pole, what are they doing? They are making toys. <laughs> they're making toys. When you get to heaven, what are they doing? Joy, celebration. Like one of the, my favorite, one of the things I love about to try to picture is it talks about how when someone comes to know Christ, that, every, that, that, that the angels rejoice, that the angels rejoice. So, so imagine this, like I don't know how it goes down, but this is how it looks to me in my mind. So when we're baptizing, right, we've seen people come to know Jesus, like heaven is deciding to rejoice. And in that moment, the angel Gabriel turns to the angel Michael and says, hey, did you see that stone creek? Let's lose our minds right now and celebrate. And they throw their hands up in the air and they start yelling. I think that's where thunder comes from, actually. And so they begin to celebrate, like joy is the serious business of heaven. And so what I want to do, I want us to look at a handful of verses this morning, more verses. They're going to help us see how God expects us to act with joy, how God looks at us and wants us to respond to life with joy, how God wants to give us joy. Now, first, what I want to do is I just kind of want to read through all of them. And as I read through them, when you see the word joy, can you read it with me? Can we do that? Can Can you read it with me, the word joy? Okay, let's practice saying joy together. One, two, three. Joy. All right, so every time we see the word joy, let's say joy. Then I'm going to come back and do a little teaching around it. So let's start out in Galatians chapter 5. I believe that's our first one. Galatians chapter 5. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, 
peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Then he goes on in Nehemiah. Then he said, go your way, eat and drink sweet wine, send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is it holy to our Lord, meaning a day of celebration. He says, do not be grieved for the of the Lord is your strength. And then in the book of Psalms, it says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. And then in Psalm chapter 30, weeping may tarry for the night, but comes with the morning. And then Romans chapter 15 says, may the God of hope fill you with all and peace. And it could go on and on and on that God is for our joy. Now, the first verse we looked at was Galatians chapter 5. We could throw that one back up there. Galatians chapter 5. And it says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And so what he's saying is this is when you make this step to follow Christ... Like you're changed from the inside out. That there are some things that happen inside of you. They're just going to be natural. They're going to be expected. They're, they're an assumption that you're going to have. And one of those is joy. That when you begin to follow Christ, there's this joy that happens inside of you. And guess what? Other people see that joy. And they recognize you for that joy. It's a little like this. I was uh, as coming through the airport on Friday. I was looking for something to eat. And um, there was a, a juice bar that was there. When I say juice bar, any of you guys have juicers in, in your kitchen, right? A lot of you. So you know how this works. If you don't know, it's magic. Like you should go get one. And so, um, and I'm not getting commissioned. But, but so you can take a whole fruit. So the, the one that I got was apple, carrot, beets, and ginger. Okay, super healthy, antioxidants, anti-inflammatory, everything. As a matter of fact, I drank it and I flew the plane home. But <laughs> so as we're... You drop an apple in, you drop it in core and all, stem and all, seeds and all. And what comes out, what the product, the byproduct of that is apple juice. That's all that comes out. Carrot, carrot juice comes out. So here's what, what, this, what this says, the imagery we get here. Is that for a Christian, the byproduct of someone who has the joy of Christ, who understands the favor of the Lord, the byproduct is joy. That people should look at you. And they should see joy. Sometimes the byproduct of our life can be different than joy. It can be frustration or anger or impatience or anxiety. And, and this is not the byproduct of a life that Jesus wants to give us. Here's something that always makes me laugh. Somebody will say, yeah, I don't, I don't drive with a fish sticker on my back, at the back of my car because of what I might say to someone. I'm like, well, first of all, fish, that's, that's cheesy. Don't ever do that. <laughs> but second of all, th the problem is not the fish emblem on my car. The problem is what's coming out of my life. So we have joy. The world is watching and waiting and looking. We have joy. Galatians chapter 5. In Nehemiah chapter 8. It says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. It says, Nehemiah says, now they've been working really hard, just to give you a little background, working really hard. They're going to take a day off, a day of celebration. They're going to take a break. So he says, he's telling the workers, hey, go, eat, eat everything you want, drink wine, send portions to anyone who has nothing so that they can celebrate, they can have joy with us. This day is holy to the Lord. Don't be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. 
And I don't know, sometimes here's what happens. We think we need strength to have joy. We think that I'm in a difficult circumstance. I'm not sure how to get moving. I'm not, I don't feel like having joy. And I got to muster every ounce of energy to have joy. But what Nehemiah is saying and what we learn is the joy that we have, it is the strength. It is the energy to keep going. It is the optimism to look at the world differently. We don't have to fake it. That God's going to give us the strength so that we can have joy. I, when I was a kid, my dad used to tell me this phrase. He would say, grin and bear it. You ever had your dad say that? Or your mom, maybe? At our house, my mom, Debbie says that to our kids, grin and bear it. No, but, but, but grin and bear it, meaning, hey, just suck it up. Act like it doesn't hurt. Now, now there's probably something to be said for that, truly. And, but I kind of, when you go through life with that mentality, there's no internal change that happens. So everything is just external and you're just faking it through life. I can remember situations in life where I was just going to grin and bear it. Like there was one when I was, uh, it's been years ago now, but I had a shoulder issue. And so I was getting a cortisone shot in my shoulder. Anybody had a cortisone shot in your shoulder? Like if you haven't, you haven't lived until you get that. Because what they do is they take a six-inch needle that's about this big around, and they put it in the joint of your shoulder. And so I'd been warned how painful this was going to be. So I was preparing myself. I didn't want to wince. I wasn't going to make an expression. I wasn't going to say anything. I was not going to cry, even though that would require some work. And so doctor gives me the shot. And as he's injecting the, the cortisone into my joint, it's taking a little while, and I'm I'm just sucking it up. And finally, he says to me, doesn't that hurt? I said, yes, it hurts. I was a little more colorful than that. It was before I was a Christian, so. But there came a point where grin and bear, it wasn't going to hold up. It wasn't going to keep me going. It wasn't going to do the trick. Man, I was going to have to admit that there was some pain. I have to have joy from the inside. And my joy doesn't come because I focus on being joyful. It's not because I focus on, I got to have joy, I got to have a joy. It's because I focus on Jesus. This is how I have joy. I have joy because my eyes are turned to God with this awareness of God's favor in my life. And that that joy is what's going to get me through. That joy is what's going to carry me. That joy is what I'm going to be able to lean into. The joy of the Lord is my strength. There's another one, Psalm chapter 1611. Psalm chapter 16, verse 11 says, says that you, you make known to me the path of life. In other words, you, you tell me your plans for me. That's what that means. You tell me your plans for me, God. In your presence, when I'm with you, when I'm worshiping, there is fullness of joy at your right hand or pleasures forevermore. So, so a pathway to joy, a pathway to understanding God's favor in my life is to follow God's plan. Like God has a plan for me. Now, many times I like my plan, don't you? I want to say, hey, God, this is my plan. Will you bless this? Hey, God, listen, this is what I want to do with my money. Will you just bless that? Man, just, you know, I know, God, you know, let your will be done if it's your will, but I want your will to be to bless this. This is what I want. We ask God to bless. We, we make a career choice. God, bless this. God, will you bless this career choice? Even though I haven't asked you about it, haven't looked, I haven't talked to your people about it, I haven't done anything to include you on this decision, but God, would you bless this? Would you bless this plan? And we like our own plans. And the truth is we have our own plans for our lives and, and, and other people have plans for our lives. And so what this is saying is that we don't need to follow our own plan. We need to follow God's plan. 
that God has a plan and the destination for that is the life that I'm looking for. It is our joy. Like some of you right now, you may be in a season of turmoil and conflict and chaos and there's no joy. It's because you followed your own plan. It's because you followed your own plan. And God will get you out of that. But it comes a point where you have to lean in and lean upon him. Like students, you guys are figuring out school, where you're going to go. Your parents have a great plan for you. It may not be the best plan. You need to ask them and talk to them. But we believe here that God is using our student ministry as people go into college, that he is going to send people out intentionally to start churches and take the gospel around the globe. Hey, this is what we're doing here. And so there are many of our students now who God is preparing. His plan for them is to go to places that could be difficult or not so difficult so that they can take the life-changing message of the gospel to help people who have no hope. And amen goes right there, y'all. Listen, we believe that God is raising up and training up young people. And as a pastor who has kids, that can be a little difficult. And as a parent, that may be a little difficult. But I just want to challenge you, like God's plan for your children, it is best. And it will lead them to joy. This is the way God operates. God's plan is always best. Psalm chapter 30. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Now, it's easy to have joy when things are good, isn't it? Like, it's easy when things are going good at work. Got that Christmas bonus. Man, my marriage is great. I am married. I have kids, and they're awesome. They're doing everything I tell them when I tell them every single time the first time. Like, it's easy. It's easy when things are going good. But when things get difficult, that's where joy gets hard, isn't it? And there are times in life where we're going to face sadness. It's not wrong to be sad. It's not wrong to be sad. You know, weeping may tarry for the night. We know that Jesus in this world, you can have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. We know we're going to go through difficulties in life. But he's saying, hold on, joy's coming. Just as sure as the sun rises in the morning and a new day dawns, joy is coming for you. Don't forget that. Joy is coming So in the midst of a bad diagnosis, God has joy for you even in the midst of a bad diagnosis. There's a young couple in our church um, that just had a baby, uh, and the baby's born with some significant health complications. Like they knew it before the baby was going to be born, so they moved out of state in order to be close to the best doctors in the country. And they're going to be away from home for months, more than likely, while their newborn is hooked up to machines to keep her alive. And listen, when you talk to them, see them post, hear from them, there is nothing but joy in their lives. As a matter of fact, they named their child cause of great joy, a word that means that. Weeping, it, it, may, it may come, but joy comes in the morning. One of the things we should never forget, one of the things we don't talk about enough is the fact that we're headed for heaven. And the reality that we're headed for a, for a new place, a place where there's no more tears, no more crying, no more pain, no more foster children, no more ICUs, no more morgues, no more cemeteries. That's where we're headed. That's the joy that we will experience. In this week, um, just as they celebrated the passing of George H.W. Bush, it's been an incredible to read about his life, Right? I mean, a man of high character, high integrity, no matter what your political party is, I think just acknowledging the man for what he brought to the world and the things that he wanted to leave in the world. 
one of the things that's, that's probably not known about him as much was the fact that, you know, as a, first of all, as a World War II fighter pilot, he was shot down and thought that he, they, they thought that he was lost, but obviously they rescued him. But then he had a daughter who at around the age, between the age of two and three, died of leukemia. And uh, he had uh, all boys at that time, I think four, maybe more. And so to lose a daughter at that time is just devastating, devastating. And then, of course, his wife, Barbara, died in April. And so there was a, a, a cartoon that was a political cartoon that was written that shows him flying his um, bomber. You knew it was going to happen, didn't you? <laughs> and they meet, he meets his wife and his daughter and says, we waited for you. Listen, the people you've lost... You'll be reunited. Man, the people that have gone before us, we'll see them again. Don't lose hope. Weep, yeah, come on. <laughs> Weeping will last. Joy, joy is on the way. Joy is coming. God is for our joy. Romans chapter 15, verse 13. It says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. The reason why we have joy is because of hope. Hope is the seed out of which joy grows. And, and one easy way to tell where your hope is is to watch what, what you give your joy to. Like, I don't believe anything takes your joy. I believe you give it away. So what, what, what are you giving your joy to? What, what makes your joy go away? Is it frustration at traffic? Is it a relationship gone sour? Is it, is it my expectations didn't get met? Like, where does your joy begin to go away? That'll tell you where your hope is. And when our hope is in Christ, what we can believe, what we can know is he has proven his love for us. He's shown us his favor by breaking into the world. This is the Christmas story. That we have a Savior and a God who loves us deeply. And that if we have hope in him, we know our destination. It makes the journey easier. When we know our destination, it makes the journey easier. And we put our hope in Christ. We put our hope in the gospel and the fact that he came for us. And every other hope is going to fall short in our lives. And we've all experienced it. Sometimes we get off track. And sometimes we, we let other things become our hope. And today is the day when we reorient around the life of Jesus being our hope. He's better than everything. Jesus is better than everything. He's better, yeah, he's better than your job. He's better than a relationship. He's better than more money. Jesus is the better. At Christmas, God didn't just give us joy. He gave us himself. God gave us himself. He is the source of all joy. How do you experience that? Man, first step is just to know him. It's just to know him. It's to acknowledge that, 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 and believe that he came for us. That at Christmas that we celebrate his birth into the world that God sent his son. That the world wouldn't be condemned, but the, the world would be saved. We just believe in him and we lean in all in. Man, we lean in all in. And then we need to do things that stir our affection for him. We need to do things that stir our affection for him. So, so some of you are married. I want you to think of it this way. Like, when you're married, one of the things that you need to do is just do things that stir your affection for your spouse. Can I get an amen? 
Like, there's some things you need to do to stir your affection for your spouse. So some things that I do, like I'll text Debbie or I'll, I'll call her on the phone. Just communication. Super easy, right? Man, we'll spend time together. Uh, we, we'll go out on a date. I'll spend 30 minutes every morning turning on all the Christmas lights in the house. Just to serve her. To do some things that stir my affection for her and her affection for me. I tell other people about her. When we're talking in a conversation, I'll say something about my wife and she did this and she did that and how good she is to me. I'll I'll say things about how awesome she is. There's certain things I do that stir my affection for my wife. And this is the same with Jesus. There's some things we need to do to stir our affection for him. Man, the first one is to pray. The first one is to pray. And we need to be a people that learns to pray. Like, like I believe in what, when I talk to people, man, we don't spend enough time praying. It needs to be first thing we do in the morning. We need to get up and we need to talk to God. Hey, God, here's what's on my heart. Here's the things I've got coming. Not that you don't know them, but I'm going to tell you anyway. And so, God, what do you have for me? What do you want me to do? How do you want to respond? How do you want to speak into me? And, and I mean, God will press into us in those times of communication. Like imagine this. Some of you are married. Imagine this. And some of you who aren't married, you're going you're gonna to relate to this. Imagine the only time you talk to your spouse is while you're driving down the road in traffic. And you got them on Bluetooth, of course, because you can't hold your phone. And that's the only time you communicate. Or when you get home, you're watching Netflix or a ball game. And, and they're talking while you're trying to follow the storyline on the movie. That's not communication that stirs your affection. And we need to have this same dedicated time to communicate with God. Another thing we do is we serve God's people. And we serve God's people. We serve everybody. Why is that? Because Jesus died for everybody. Jesus died for everybody. Doesn't matter their behavior. Doesn't matter that, man, they, they do that thing that you really hate. It doesn't matter that they do some things that used to be considered taboo and now they're accepted. I mean, it doesn't matter that they're my enemy because Jesus was clear to love your enemy. Like we serve people and it doesn't mean we condone their behavior, but it means we treat them the way Jesus did. Man, we want to serve his people. This is why hundreds of us will go next Saturday to Clarkston. We'll go to a place where there's a word refugee that is such a hot political issue right now. And some would say, you mean you're going to serve refugees? Listen, it's not a political issue for us. It's a people issue. We serve people because Jesus will. We serve people, and that's, what, that's the kind of people we need to be. And we need to serve whoever we can, whenever we can. We need to be people who serve. This will stir our affection for Jesus. And we need to tell people about him. We need to tell people about him. There's a reason why Europe and the Eastern Bloc countries have such darkness over them, and the gospel has disappeared. It's because somebody didn't tell somebody. Somebody forgot to say something. Somebody forgot to share. Somebody forgot to tell their story. Somebody forgot to point up and elevate the name of Jesus. And we don't want to be people that does that. How can we ever forget what was done for us? How can we ever forget God's favor? Listen, you need to be someone who tells someone. It's one of the reasons why at Christmas we're so passionate about inviting people. It is such low-hanging fruit. Such low-hanging fruit. Like, don't let this be a Christmas that gets by you without you inviting someone to come to a service. They're going to be amazing. They're going to be life-changing for people. We're going to tell the story of the gospel in a way that will be unique and fun and creative and powerful. And you may be the link to somebody else. 
And as they see your joy, and as you tell them about what God's doing in your life, and you invite them, this could literally transform their future. Let's don't ever forget that. This is what we do. This is what we do. Final story from the Bible. Last verse. Jesus is telling a story to, to some of his disciples, and he's trying to describe what the end's going to look like. And as he's doing it, he says, you know, he, he would tell a parable. That's the way Jesus t- taught a lot of times. He would tell stories, try to connect with people's heart. And, and so he tells this parable, and he talks about a business owner. I'll make it, I'll make it current. <laughs> he talks about a business owner. He says the business owner was going to take a sabbatic for a year. And he was going to go travel. And he's going to come back. And so he took a lot, of his, a lot of his business, millions of dollars, and he gave it. To, 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 the first, to one person, the first person. He gave uh, some more to a second person less, but he gave some more. And he, he told them, he said, hey, listen, go, I want you to invest this. I want you to do business. I want you to grow. You've seen what I do. You've seen how I've grown this business. You've seen the things you should invest in. You've seen the places you should take risk. Hey, do that. Grow the business. And when I come back, we'll, we'll settle up. I'll see what you've done. And so the master goes away and he comes back. And he, and he calls them to account. And this is what he says. He says, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And Jesus wasn't just talking about business. He was talking about the end of time and the work that we have. And what we see in this passage The words that are spoken there, aren't they words that we all want to hear from the Lord? Enter into the joy of your master. This is where we're headed. God is for our joy. And it came through us recognizing God's favor through the birth of his son, Jesus. Let's champion that. Let's let it drive us, compel us. Let's go all in to celebrate the goodness of God who came to give us joy. Let's pray. So God, we are overwhelmed. Thank you for your grace, your favor to look at us, God, to give us joy. God, I pray for those here who who are not experiencing joy right now. Christmas brings up some memories, some, uh, man, reminds them of their past where things haven't gone as well as they would have chosen or planned. But God, that you can still be their joy. That weeping may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And God, today would be a day where they reorient their life around you. God, I pray for those who are are chasing after superficial means to, to gain supernatural joy. God, that there's a time where we need to recognize and take account of what we're chasing. And God, that we would chase after Jesus, just recognizing that the pleasures found in him are deeper, they're better, they're wider than anything we could ever experience or imagine. They never leave us. They'll always be with us. They'll guide us through difficult times. They'll help us to enjoy the great times. And God, that we would look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, God. And God, that we'd be a people that tells others that we wouldn't hold it to ourselves that we would recognize that we need it and they need it. God, we would understand that people are chasing things that aren't going to give them what they want. Help us to be a people that tells others, God. And Lord, for those here who haven't quite gone all in on it, God, that they're sitting back, they're just waiting, God, that today be the day 
they're done. They're in. They're going all in. That they leaned in. And we just pray these things according to the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.